Let's look into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Very uh, familiar text as we read recently. <coughs> Need your prayers once again, but thankful he's able. Ecclesiastes 3, we will begin looking at verse number 11. Solomon had talked about all the times and seasons in life. When we last looked in Ecclesiastes 3, talking about the times and the seasons of life, and I have found, even since I preached that message, how unworthy I am to stand and preach that message. Because one of the statements I made in there was that my joy and my happiness should not come from the season I'm in, but from the goodness of God. And how quickly we forget. When we get in the storm, how quickly we forget that happiness truly comes from the Lord rather than our season. But what a lesson it's teaching me in my life right now. And, and I thank God for it. I'm kind of coming out on the other side of this one storm. And while there's another one out there, I'm thankful that I'm coming out, Brother Donnie, because I feel God's goodness and I feel his provision and how he's in control of everything. But when I started in this thing, man, it, I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. I'll just be honest with you. But I'm thankful that God, in his grace and mercy to us, he controls each and everything in this world. And while we have free will to do as we want, if we'll stick to his will and his plan, he'll help us understand the things we can't understand. He'll help us understand the things that don't make sense. He'll show us and reveal to us, while maybe there's something on this earth that will never come to fruition that we wish it would, it's not according to his will. And that's why it didn't happen. But he'll give us peace about it. And I learn, I'm learning that as I'm strengthened in the Lord, I'm realizing and understanding that his peace is the peace that passeth all understanding. His peace that he gives about each and every situation, the things we can't understand, the, the, the hospital visits and situations and uh, the, the, the phenomenons of the body that happen and uh, the, the difficulties with people and facing uh, people in the world who would just press their thumb of oppression down on God's people he is bringing me through it all. And his peace on the other side. His knowledge that he gives me that he had it in his hand the whole time. That's what I'm learning to lean on. And the next storm, Brother Norman, that's right there. I'm going to try to approach it differently. Now I'm human. So when I hit it, I'm going to be down in the dumps again. But when I get an eye, I'm going to say, I remember where I was last month or last week or last year. And I know how to get through by his power, by his might. And it's always his will. But it's us coming to his will rather than him bending to ours. We must come to his will. Amen. That's a side note. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Beginning at verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time, and he hath set the world in their heart that, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And I think that's an interesting verse we find here because we see that Solomon talks about this wisdom that even he saw. He went out and he did all these things and studied all these things and experienced all these things in the world looking, desiring, endeavoring to experience 
wisdom of an earthly nature. And then he realized, what did he say? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, saith the preacher. And he says, God, it's God, so no, no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. God didn't intend for us to understand the seasons in life. He didn't intend for us to know we're not God. I'm just a human living in this world and the things that come up and they, they come, come to fruition in life that I may think I know. Hey, you get, I, don't, I don't do a lot of politics, although I am wearing my Republican socks tonight, but I had high boots on today. That's why I was wearing them. First thing I got out of the sock drawer. I'm not much into politics, but you get into talking politics, and I'll give you my opinion why I think things are the way they are. You got an opinion like that? I know some of you do. I've heard them. Nobody's saying nothing in here. But I'm quick to give you an opinion. I have in my mind an idea of how things happen, why things are the way they are, why this happened, why well, I told you this, or if they'd have just done this, or they'd just done that, or if they'd have just called me and talked to me. Remember my grandfather. We, everybody remember when Iraq was on the news every night. Remember my grandfather, an old Marine, he said, if they'd just call me, I'd tell them how to deal with it. I know how to handle this, and I won't go into any more than that. <laughs> Involved a lot of artillery. But we think we know, amen? We think we know, but it's not God's intention for me to know why things happen. God did not intend for me to know and understand why these things are going on in our society, why Christian people can't get along, why people are arguing about things, why people are not coming to church, why people do this and why people do that. God did not intend for me to understand why. And God, more, moreover, did not intend for me to understand why things are happening to me. Say, well, that's not fair. Hey, I'm a fallen creature. I, I, I am a creature of sin. I'm flesh. My separation from God prevents me from seeing and knowing and understanding all the amazing things God, God knows and sees, even when that means I go through difficulties and hardships. It's not his responsibility or his plan that I understand the season I'm in. It's my responsibility to say, Lord, I'm yielding this season to you. The season of hard times, the season of good times, the seasons of misunderstanding, the seasons of can't figure out, the seasons of financial ruin, the season of, uh, of difficulties and death, the seasons of misunderstanding. All those seasons, it's not my responsibility to understand and know them. And it's also my responsibility to say, Lord, in this season, I'm coming to your will. And I'm not going to expect you to bend to mine. It also is not his intention that the wise men of the world know and understand everything. And people think they do. Amen. You ever read much about Scientology? I've read it for you. Sam's read it for you. I, it's, it'll just about fry your brain. People have, in the means of science, I read one thing about a Scientologist church that there's a Baptist preacher that goes to it. It's craziness. But that's the state and condition of the world. I can't explain why. God didn't intend for me to know why. God knows why. God knows their heart. But the, 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 the idea of man today is to try to quantify everything and explain everything and put everything into some uh, kind of box and explanation of why things are the way they are. And, 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 and I heard one argument. One man was making about why it was not God that created the world and it was not God that, that set the stars in the sky and God spoke everything to existence. Is because throughout time... 
Man has decided to know and understand. Uh, we began, began to understand physics, and we began to understand sound waves, and we began to understand uh, uh, how, how science works and how uh, decay works and how fossilization works. And that explains, somehow to me, that explains uh, to this guy, and so it's supposed to convince me that God didn't create the earth because all this science stuff happened. But I tell you what we've done is we've got caught up in man's way of explaining, man's wisdom of trying to quantify and explain how this thing happened, that it's become a religion, and moreover it's become a cult, and people are uh, jumping on board with this, and, they, and, and they're talking about how people just, they believed in God because they needed a reason to believe these things they couldn't understand. But I tell you, it's not God's business with me for me to understand how the moon hangs up in the sky it's not and 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 we've learned about gravity we've learned about physics we've learned about all these things and they're great things but of all the textbooks and all the men's minds and all the scientists and all the people that can go out and explain all these things and and try to try to put these things in your mind and help you understand them it wasn't God's intention for them to know and understand why God does what he does their endeavor is in vain their endeavor is wasted and people that believe this, even Christian people, they doubt God because they can't explain. Well, I couldn't believe that a lame man was healed. I can't believe that a leprous man was healed. I can't believe that a demon was cast out of a man and cast into the swine. I can't believe those things. But that, yet they'll put their faith in somebody saying something happened XYZ way because science proves and all this and man is just trying to explain God without calling it God and they've made a God and they've made idols out of things of the mind all things have beauty in their season God did not intend for man to understand him in every work that he does he gives us his word but in his work and his methods and seasons in life God did not intend that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Verse, four, verse 12. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. I began looking at that and thinking about this, and, and I, as I read that, that, uh, that article about Scientology that just popped up, and uh, I ran down that rabbit hole, and, and it's so sad what people believe and what people think. And, and then I got to just thinking about, uh, even Christian people and just your, your normal folks, maybe just like you and I. Uh, I call us normal folks. I'm assuming we're all normal. Um, but normal people just like you and just like me. Uh, people that go, maybe go to this church or go and do things uh, without Christ. Yes, there's, there's a sense of happiness and joy that people have uh, uh, with the seasons and the times in our life. Uh, there's, there's times and seasons where uh, for a person that doesn't believe in the Lord that that when that time of having a baby comes, it's a season of joy, and they experience, in a sense, joy or happiness. Uh, the, the emotion of a human being, uh, the emotions that we have, or the time of death where they experience death, and they see that, and they hurt because they're a human being, and they have human emotions, and that's a natural thing to feel, uh, where a tear would drop from, from an eye. Uh, uh, that's a natural thing. Or laughter would come from someone. That's a natural thing. There's natural experiences that people have but I'm telling you, the goodness of God is the fact that not only do we have the natural human emotions and feelings, but we have spiritual human or spiritual emotions and feelings given by God. And if we will quit concerning ourselves 
with trying to quantify and explain everything. i got to use that word every time I can tonight. That's an expensive word to use. When we try to explain everything, whether it be by means of methodology, Scientology, or just Joshology, because Josh thinks he knows it all, I can look and realize that God has something so much greater on this earth for me than trying to figure everything out. God has rejoicing. God has service. God has fellowship. And God has labor for me that I can enjoy on this earth. I know that there is no good in them. But for a man to rejoice and to do good in this life. And hey, there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord that do that. They, they, they in their own method, in their own manner, they rejoice and they're happy about things. Uh, their sports team wins or their kid gets into college and whatever, and they rejoice, they're happy about these things. Maybe that they do good in their life. Now, there are people that are not Christian people and the things that they do are good. They help people. There are police officers and nurses and, and, and there are people out there that don't know the Lord and the things that they do, their contributions to society are good things. But what Solomon is talking about is of a spiritual nature. That we can fellowship with the Lord and we can rejoice first in the Lord in a spiritual nature that is beyond, that transcends the human rejoicing that some, someone that does not know the Lord experiences. We rejoice in the Lord and we fellowship with God. Our spirit, our soul fellowships with God. What a blessing it is that we can literally, spirit to spirit, through the Holy Ghost of God, fellowship with the Lord our Creator. I felt it Sunday night in here. I got to fellowship with the Lord. My grandfather said something Sunday night. He said, I didn't realize when I was sitting here, talking about me, he said, when I was in your seat, I didn't realize how much I would value this. I didn't realize how much I needed this. And I'm telling you, that's so true. This filled my soul up Sunday night. Rejoicing with the Lord. Holding my grandfather, sitting on that bench, weeping. Loving one another. I, I'm not trying to make this all about me, but I just didn't get a chance to talk some tonight. <laughs> not for long. But that's a blessing. What a blessing it is. Even you in this building, you worship with your loved ones. And you can rejoice together. And, and, and parent, your child, you know your child is going to heaven. You know your child will never face hell. That is something to rejoice about. You can spiritually say that these children that God blessed me with, they're on the other side. Maybe you got one that's already gone on. And you can live and have peace and rejoice knowing, God, you got that little one. He, she's in your hands. What a blessing that is. Or Lord, that grandma and grandpa, that mom and dad that's gone on, that beloved wife, that beloved husband that's gone on, they're with you. That's something to rejoice about. I felt something in my soul about that. There's something to rejoice in the fact. What God has for me is not just a human emotion. I feel rejoicing. It gives me excitement to think about those things. But it gives me spiritual food to carry on through the next day. Knowing how, God goods, how good God has been to me. And how then I know what's on the other side. People say, how do you know that? How do you prove it? It's proven to me by the Spirit of God bearing witness to me that it's true. That's how it's proven to me. And people are like, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, you're living back there in verse number 
you're living back there in verse number 11, and you're trying to figure everything on this earth out, when God has for you a spiritual feeling that transcends all of your human feelings that can show you and let you know that he is real, that he loves, and that he has prepared a place for us on the other side. Man, God's good to us. We can rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. And also, he says, but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life. Not only do we have rejoicing spiritually in the Lord, but we have rejoicing in our service to the Lord. There's people on this earth that live and die lost. I'm afraid, go to hell. But their contributions on this earth, societally, they help somebody. Not every person doomed for hell is a terrible person morally upon the earth. They just didn't ever accept Christ. And that's a terrible tragedy. But what this is saying and what we see here is that to do good in this life is not of a, just a mere moral benefit where I can help someone. But it's the spiritual service that I have to the Lord. I have purpose in this life. Do you remember before you were saved, do you remember feeling any purpose? In your life? Do you remember feeling any purpose in your life? Maybe, maybe you were young. Maybe you felt the purpose of being a child and childhood, whatever that may be. But do you re ever remember any true purpose? I don't. I just remember I was searching for something. When I came to that age of accountability. And then when I got old enough and I, and I realized that I needed to be saved and I accepted Christ as my Savior, I realized that he began to deal with my heart about a purpose. And one night, 2014, on the way home from diesel school at AB Tech Community College, Harvard on the Hill, at the edge of a hayfield, 8.30 at night, I called my little papaw that was standing up here Sunday night, and I said, Papa, I've been running, and I can't run no more. God's called me to preach. It's been nine, almost nine years ago at this point. gave me purpose you say well I don't have that big story I didn't pull off of nowhere and call anybody and have this amazing doves flying around and the sunbeams from heaven come down on me and a choir starts singing in the background hey it didn't happen to me I just make it sound good I'm just kidding I'm telling you the truth when I told you what happened but the reality is you have a purpose and service to do good in this life, whether that means just the way you treat people in your family. You say, that's a big burden to bear. You ought to meet my family. Maybe that's who God has sent you to serve. Maybe who that, that's who God is dealing with you to serve. We're all called to serve our family. You say, my family needs a little extra saving. Amen. God's using you in that purpose in that manner. Maybe it is out in the community that you, it's always out in the community that you could smile at someone and you could share and you could hand them a, a tract or you could hand them a blessing bag or you could do something good for them. That's a, there's a spiritual benefit beyond earthly human benefits to that. That's what I'm learning is that we're not satisfied by the seasons we're in. We're satisfied in Christ. But he's not left us with nothing. He's not left us without something to do. It's not the season that defines me. It's the goodness of God. And in all times, in all seasons, in all days, in all ways, I have something to do that can serve it. And you do too. Whether it seems small, it, it doesn't say, I know that there's no good in them, but for a man to rejoice 
and to do good in his life and to be called to preach and to go uh, pastor a church and to go uh, lead the choir and to go uh, teach a Sunday school class and to go hold a crusade like Billy Graham used to hold. And that's not what it says. This says to do good in his life. I mean, it's across the board. There's something in the service of God for you can, that you can do, and it's as important as anything else. And it's the blessing God gave you, and it's your fellowship with God, serving God, rejoicing in God. It's what God has bestowed on you. That's why the season doesn't define me. Because I can rejoice in Him in any time and always. I can fellowship with Him. And I can serve Him. Regardless of what's going on in the world. Regardless of what's going on in, in this life. Regardless of what's going on financially, politically, whatever. I can rejoice in Him and I can serve Him. I have purpose in Him. And it takes me to to the point where I realized it wasn't about the season to begin with. It's about the Savior. Verse, part, first part of verse 13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. We begin to see the theme of fellowship here. The theme of fellowship. That every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. I think it was John Gill that said, it's God's gift. He, he just took this verse and he just very simply, Sam, you know, we're going, some of these men that write, and we're looking for this gold nugget. But he said about this verse, he said, God's gift to man is that even amongst all the difficulties and hardships of life, spiritually speaking, we can rejoice in the Lord, we can serve the Lord, and he comes to this verse and he says, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy, all the, enjoy the good of all his labor. And he says something that stuck out to me. He says, and not alone. And not alone. That's what sparked this thought of fellowship with me. God didn't depend for me to just enjoy the spoils of this life knowing I'm getting out of the other side by myself. I get to come enjoy it with you. We're going to go cut a cake in Miss Judy's honor. We're going to break out some ice cream in a minute. We're going to fellowship. We're going to, we're going to eat, drink, and be merry. And, and maybe I need to put some context on this verse, but we're going to fellowship together. How sad would it be if it was just me? If I was just the only one? Be like if God told Adam, well, Eve sinned first. I'm going to cast her out of the garden. You can stay here alone. How lonely would that be? He'd had a taste of what it was like to have companionship. Don't spin that into how she doomed humanity. He followed the wife, and that, that wasn't right. But God gives us the ability, as I said, eat, drink, be merry, with the right context, together. It's not God's, God's intention. How do we fellowship alone? I can fellowship with the Spirit. His precious Holy Spirit is wonderful. But it's His Spirit indwelling in you that touches me that makes me want to come back to Mountain View Baptist Church three times a week. Just being honest with you. Hey, there's people that go to churches, and I'm not bad-mouthing other churches, but I've been to them. You go in, and it's dead as a doornail. There's no spiritual fellowship. There's no rejoicing. 
There's no service to God. There's nothing. God didn't intend on us to do this alone. And if you're not rejoicing, if you're not serving, how can you fellowship? God intended for these things to be together. It's his gift to us that we can enjoy something in this dark world. And then we learn and realize that these things can carry us through this world. That's what I'm learning. Still learning. That the things I think should happen, the things I want to see happen, the things that I thought were going to happen because I thought them up in my mind, and I determined they were going to happen, when they don't, I still should be rejoicing, I still should be serving, and I should still be fellowshipping. And I'm afraid a lot of Christian people have fallen off the wayside because something didn't go their way and they forgot what verse 11 says about the fact that it's not God's intention that I know what's going on. And when the first hardship comes up and the first stub toe comes up and the first morning where you don't feel like getting out of the bed comes up, the rejoicing stops and the serving stops and then the fellowship stops. And that is not the way God intended us to live. God gave us a spiritual gift of rejoicing, servicing, service, service to him and fellowship in him. And we ought not let it fall by the wayside and leave it behind. So many Christians, and you can smell it, you can see it, you can hear it. I don't want to be one of those Christians. Lord, help me that my life is not defined by my situation. My life is not defined by trying to figure everything out. But God, my life is defined by rejoicing in you, by serving you, by fellowshipping. And you say, this is easy to say up on the mountaintop. I'm about to tell you, I ain't up on the mountaintop. God's had to take me the valley to teach me this lesson. But I'm realizing and I'm seeing, I'm climbing once again, Brother Sam. I'm climbing once again. And as I climb and I get closer to the top, I begin to realize that the brush and the trees and the, 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 the hardships of the path and the hardships down in the valley, those things start to go away. And as I'm climbing closer and closer, I'm about to feel something in me wanting to preach on this. As I'm climbing closer and closer to the top of that mountain, that is the realization that it's not the situations that define me. As I'm getting closer and closer to the top, my rejoicing begins to come out saying, Lord, thank you for where you brought me from. Thank you for where I just was. Lord, I look back. You ever, you ever take a long trip and you look back on your map and you, you look at a little tiny Google map and you're like, man, we came a long ways. You ever done that? Lord, thank you for that big gap in between where you carried me through that valley. Lord, thank you for those creatures out in those woods, those critters that would come destroy me that you protected me from. Lord, I'm rejoicing. And as I get up on this mountaintop, I realize that on the other side, I'm about to start going down. But God, I want you to settle in my heart service to you. And not, not just up on the mountaintop. Lord, it's easy to praise you when I'm up there. That's the most preacher cliche we've ever heard. But Lord, as I'm walking down the other side, I'm settling in my heart rejoicing uh, like I was when I was climbing and service as I'm walking back down. As I go back through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, I will fear no evil because you brought me through. You'll bring me through again. And God, let me serve you in this next valley. And when I get back in the valley, I see some of you. And I'm like, hey, Brother Don, you're down the valley too. 
I see you. And he's probably saying, well, I've been here before. I'm just here to help you. I was there when I was your age. He's wise. God sends people to us. Hey, I've been in this valley before. Or I'm in it again. This life is hard. That's where that fellowship starts to come in. Get up on that mountaintop and it's me and God. And you know what? I like it that way. I like it that way because me and him, his spirit, precious Holy Spirit, dealing with me, working on me, worked on me today, did something I didn't want to do. God's blessing me. God's touching me. God's showing me his way and his path. Start easing back off the other side. Fellowship comes back into play. I was just convening with him on the mountaintop. I feel a long ways away again. He's still there, but I'm back in the trenches. Who's there with me? Who can I help? Who can carry me? Who can I carry through this valley? Last thing, last thought. Also, that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. And I was thinking about that, and I remember I've told, I've, I told this story recently, I believe, but we was in Charleston, South Carolina. It was in an old graveyard. Old graveyard. It was so old, the United States wasn't the United States when some of these people were buried. We're still British. Thank the Lord for the revolution. Amen. I'm standing in that graveyard, and there's a grave there. A woman died in the 1800s. This is on the new side of the graveyard. It said her name, and it said satisfied between the dates. My dad said, I want that on my grave. I'm like, Dad, we ain't talking about your grave here. He said, I want that on my grave. And you see, 1770 and 1850, and in this center, satisfied. This verse sticks out in my heart, the end of this verse. He says, and to enjoy the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. That is being content. We read this verse, and if we're not careful, we start thinking, man, I'm going to get to enjoy all the benefits and all the things God's going to give me on this earth. That brand new Corvette Joel Osteen told me about, it's going to be a blessing. million dollars in the bank account. He told me, $40 snot rag. It'll be there. Hey, that's not everybody's in between, is it? It's not been mine, but you know what? Lord, help me to be satisfied with where I'm at right now. Not building up so that one day I can have all these things and be satisfied. But God, if I died in this very moment, Lord, let me settle to you that I'm satisfied with what I have. And the in-between, people look back and say, satisfied. And me say, in this moment, satisfied. If I died in this moment, could I, could I complain about a thing? No, sir, no, ma'am. Got a good church, good family. Most of all, I'm saved. And God has given me a wonderful, wonderful wife. And two of the cutest little kids, if I do say so myself, 
that you can ever imagine. They take from my wife, don't they, Brother Steve? He was thanking him. I don't have a thing in the world I can complain about. I don't know a person in my immediate family that will not be in heaven with me. Every immediate family member of mine is saved. What in the world can I complain about? What do I have to bring to the feet of God that created heaven and earth and say, Lord, this is not enough. I have nothing. To enjoy the good of my labor is to be satisfied and content with what God's giving. There's been times, Brother Donnie, my little single wide in Fairview, $25 in the bank account, full of love between me and my wife, a home, a home we built, me and Shelby, Riley and Timber, it's my dog if you don't know Timber, $25 in the bank account, but all the love in the world in those four walls. And where I stand today, me, Shelby, Riley, Isla, Timber, and all the love God could ever give in the four walls. The money don't even matter. I need it. But it don't matter. God, I need it. You know we do that, don't we? Lord, I need, you know I need it. I'm just, I'm being, I'm being faithful. Being content. Being content, that's the hardest thing I've learned. I'm learning. You pray for me. When I see you in the valley, you say, I know what you're going through. I'm with you. Hey, it's hard at any point in time to be content. But God's intention is that we can enjoy the labor. What is that? It transcends monetary value. It transcends possessional value. It transcends all the popularity and celebrity status possible. It transcends all those things. But to be content and say, Lord, I'm on my way to heaven. My family's on my way to heaven. We've got a roof over our head. We've got food on the table. One last thing. My mama was sick when I was a kid in her back. She had to have back surgery. Daddy started cooking for us. And he, he was good at cooking soup. I get reminded of this all the time. Daddy asked me to pray over tomato soup. I said, Lord, thank you for soup again. But you know, Lord, thank you for what you've given me again. Lord, let it not be defined that it hasn't changed in a day, a year, a month, whatever, but I've had something. That's what I'm learning. Pray for me. I'm trying to learn to be content. Let's pray for each other.